This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Back of the Nest Review Show. Sponsored by Pitch Sport. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play. PitchDMM.com Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. In this show, we have the horrible misfortune to have to look back at an absolute disaster of a performance, with Roy's boys getting smashed 4-0 by a Chelsea side who are allowed to win at strolling pace. We're angry. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Book Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. On the show today, you've got me, Chris Hambling. We've got Mike Scott. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Patrick O'Connor. Hello. Hello, Mike. You're sounding incredibly cheerful. We'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll get some more details on why of obviously the football. But um, before we get into that, uh, just to let you know what's coming up on the show, we'll be talking about our key thoughts around the tactical setup, the team selection and the in-game management. And I dare say there'll be a focus on the polarising views of Roy in recent weeks. You look at the way we looked at the Man United game and the comments there. And obviously these are very much polar opposite. We'll also be looking back at the goals we conceded. Uh, Normally we'll look at the chances we created as well, but no such luck this week. Uh, We'll be talking about the individual player performances, who were the best and worst. I know what will dominate there. Uh, And of course, we'll be covering your questions and comments as we go through as well. And finally, we'll end with a quick chat on what to expect in the week ahead with the transfer window closing for Premier League to Premier League. Um, And we'll also be talking about the fact we face Brighton in two weeks' time. Um, So, first up, our sponsor, Pitch Sport Football. Download their app, Google those words, get involved, start rating the team and the manager and doing some predictions and all that kind of stuff. That'll help build up a a set of statistics that we'll start to use. Um, I was responsible for a slight aberration last week where I didn't change my team selection and picked Batshuayi like a number of other people did. And obviously he couldn't play against Chelsea, so that made us all look quite ridiculous. So I'm going to pay more attention in the future, uh, but they're Brilliant supporters of us, and we're really keen for you to get involved with them too. Um, in terms of social media stuff, just search Back of the Nest on any of the usual platforms and you'll find us there. Please rate us on the podcast app that you are using. Five stars, please. Don't care what you write, but five stars, extremely important. Uh, so other people get to see what we do and hear what we do. Uh, talking of seeing what we do, usually we're also on video, not this week due to poor organisational skills, and I'm not going to name any names in that respect. 
but yeah, uh, do check out the YouTube channel. Just again, search Back of the Nest. Like and subscribe, and uh, yeah, you'll um, there's a, there's a hell of a lot of content on there. DR is an absolute machine. Anyway, so let's have a very quick chat with the gents. Um, first up, Mr. Mike Scott, full of the joys of spring slash autumn slash heading into winter. Um, what's what's up with you this week? Yeah, I think that's got a lot to do. Obviously, it's a rich tapestry. It's not just the football. It's that it's that Sunday evening feeling. It's the fact that it's got very autumnal. It's been absolutely grim here in Hastings. Um, yeah, I, I probably I, I'm. Avoiding the beer this evening, although I probably probably should crack one to get over this, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm all right. Good, good. For you, your album launch has, has happened, and uh, we all we all enjoyed it um, very much. I think those of those of us that that did listen to it, I don't know if Patrick's had a listen yet, but um, but a fantastic album, A Candle in Hell by Lay It on the Line. Really enjoyed it. Um, and, and a return to me listening to some heavier music. So you are responsible for that. Be proud. Oh, excellent. Well, that, that's good to hear. That's good to hear, yeah. That's been, it's been going all right. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been some nice feedback and um, a, a surprisingly large percentage of people from the Russian Federation listening to it on Spotify, so that's nice. <laughs> that is amazing news. And um, I know producer Sam, who's, who's producing the show today, uh, listened to it whilst cleaning as well, which I think was, as you said, what you intended when you uh, put the put the record together. Pretty much. I think I think uh, Terence said he was listening to it whilst making a cauliflower curry. That's probably the, really what we were aiming for. Mm. So that's good. Mm. Well, there you go. Great combination of events there. Patrick O'Connor, you're very happy with your golf at the moment. Yeah, well, first, uh, Mike, I have listened to the album. Congratulations. It's not personal. I just haven't had a chance to listen to it. But congratulations on that. That's fine. Um, yes, um, my handicap besides my it being my swing sometimes, it's down to 11.6, which I don't know exactly what that means. I know it's just good. <laughs> unacceptable. <laughs> Absolutely unacceptable. I don't have a handicap. Okay. Um, other, other than my inability okay, to play a golf. Handi- yeah. right. A handicap is supposed to, obviously, if you understand golf at all, supposed to equalize, you know, a bad golfer playing with a good golfer. I mean, you get X amount of strokes, but I don't know how you exactly calculate a handicap. I know if you're around a 10, you're, you're okay. If you're in single digit, you're very good. So I'm I'm at the almost okay part, so I'm very happy with that so far. Eleven point six is very 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 good. Um, yeah, been playing for five years, by the way, not a long time. So yeah, I'm yeah, I'm, yeah. Stop stop saying more things. Right, <laughs> it's just not acceptable. Sorry, um, I'm not going to dwell too much on my own week, other than to say, um, you know, I'm, I'm sticking to my to my keto diet, but I definitely picked the wrong week to be craving carbs. As those of you who are um, watching the watch along. Uh, most of you probably would have left by the end. I, I certainly wouldn't blame you. Um, where I didn't know how to deal with a defeat without really being allowed, um, you know, to overeat or to drink heavily. Um, but Mike did identify three alcohols I could I could have enjoyed had I bothered to go out. And I think they were tequila, gin, and something else. I forget what the other one was. And rum, apparently, from a quick rum. giggle. Rum has no carbs, isn't it? Made of sugar. Well, it's, it's it's all burnt off, isn't it? It's turned into alcohol, yeah, so there's no carbs. Yeah. No, like Holston pills has no sugar in it, so if you're diabetic, get yourself some Holston pills, sunshine. I do I do love a can of Holston, but it's, I think you put me off with your your love of Holston. I don't know why. Just yeah, cheers. Yeah, no worries. Anyway, we asked all of you what you wanted to talk about this week. So before we get into the uh, 
major chat. I just thought we'd spend a bit of time up front going through those. So um, Aaron Paul, not that one, just wanted a whole podcast of me saying aye in my Yorkshire tones, which is a, a callback to the uh, Love Sport pods, which are sadly no more. Uh, James wanted to talk about cricket. Mike, something happened mm. in cricket. It did, except I was on mute. Uh, well, at the time of recording, um, it's the T20 finals day and uh, and my side, sorry, are into the finals. So um hoping we can finish up this and I can bugger off and watch that, to be honest. Hold on, oh, it's def- our side, sorry, not your side. I'm a sorry fan too, by the way. Oh, there we uh, go. Yes, so, it, everyone's side. Well, I'm born in Thorny, yeah. so I mean, sorry, it's got to be my home. I mean, Kent could have been, but nah, sorry fan. No, it's all about the Surrey. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, loosely speaking, I'm a Surrey fan. I've got, I haven't really got major emotional connection to it at all. But, Sussex. Um, but, but no, I, mate, I know I was born in West Sussex, <laughs> exactly. near, right near the like, literally five minutes down the road is is Surrey. Um, but I just want to quickly say on this, actually, it it, it pains me to not be there for finals day. Um, so the last one day tournament, tournament we won. Uh, I think it was about 11 years ago, we won it at Lords and, and I was there for that. And, and obviously we won the, well, I'd say obviously some people probably don't know or care, but um, we, we were 2018 um, County Champions as well. So saw a decent amount of that season. So it's, it's pretty gutting that we're not up in Edruston right now, next to a beer snake getting absolutely hammered watching Surrey win. Um, it's, yeah, COVID yeah. strikes again. Indeed, and that's um, one of the best parts of cricket, isn't it? Just getting so drunk, you have no real idea what you're doing or what's yeah. going on. That's yeah. that's the point, really. Yeah. Um, but it's still a wonderful sport to watch. It's just not quite the same. Nick wanted to talk about Christmas, and that just gave me the horrible realisation of how close it is. That is unacceptable. Yeah. Um, so we'll leave that there. Uh, Michael D. Middleton said the Marathon March, shamefully not signed up this year. Um, just due to the you know the uncertainty and I was genuinely going to sign up um for, with a few people for back of the nest um a couple of weeks back um uh, but uh, having decided to do this diet there's no way I can really sustain a uh, a marathon walk on 800 calories uh, per day so that would have been a real problem so but but obviously that is next weekend Saturday the something ninth is it um, of October so best of luck to everybody who's doing that it looks like the weather's going to be better than it has been this weekend um, it's you know those of you that are doing it for the first time and listening to this it is tough but you will get through it and it's it's incredibly rewarding at the end uh, those of you going back <laughs> again and again and again huge amount of respect for you um, and, and most importantly raising money for the Palace for Life Foundation who do tremendous work uh, Neil uh, sorry uh, Jack Jack St- stack jack stack jack um says what's on telly tonight um i don't know does anyone actually watch tv in that way anymore it's all it's all streaming isn't it you know wait wait any walking dead fans it's back tonight i gave up on it because it was terrible absolutely terrible see once i hit season nine it was garbage. I, I gave up it. at season three. I, I, it was moving at glacial speed, and I was, you know. Yeah. Three, well, well. I mean, that's season ten now, everyone. So. Yeah, but it's just slow, isn't it? It's just so slow. It's, it's not. It's not like uh, Game of Thrones slow when Daenerys spends eight <laughs> fucking years trying to get, excuse <laughs> exactly. the language. 
trying to cross a sea and then mysteriously can teleport by the end of it. It's not that slow, right? But like, but but it but it is slow. Um, uh, <laughs> anyway, but right. you know, I don't. I just don't think we watch TV like that anymore. Well, some people do, and That's talking true. to some people that do. Neil Tipping says, is Spencer going to win Strictly? I have no idea because I've never watched Strictly, never will watch Strictly, don't know what a Spencer is. Um, but but I don't know, does anyone? Anyone? I mean, the likely candidate is producer Sam. Complete. Nope. There you go. Well, my respect for you has gone up there, Sam. Well done. Um, so, sorry. Sorry, Neil. Got nothing for you there. Uh, Eagle Eye View has said sandwiches, which will probably be more uplifted. We talked a lot about sandwiches on some pre-season watch-alongs. I think that's where that comes from. Uh, but we'll leave that there. James Edmondson says the weather, um, which, yeah, we've kind of talked about, has been terrible for some, delightful for me. Love the weather. been walking around all sorts in the terrible wind and rain. For some reason, I'm a weirdo that likes that kind of thing. And finally, Adam Robertson says we should talk about fuck all. Excellent. Excellent. I went for the pause there. Yeah. Anyway, gents, let's crack on. Um, not a tremendous amount to talk about in terms of anything positive. Uh, we're going to keep the analysis relatively short and sweet and try and cover a fair few of your excellent questions for this week. Obviously, a match like that does generate a lot of attention and a lot of questioning. Uh, we're all delighted and don't have too much to talk about when we win, but when we get hammered like this, you know, lots and lots of questions get asked and quite rightly so. Uh, in terms of changes, there, there obviously wasn't anything in the starting lineup that changed, mainly with, with Jeffrey Schlipp still out. You wouldn't have expected that. Eze was, was pretty decent against Everton. A lot of people was sort of man of the match, so you'd expect him to keep his place anyway. The only change was obviously Mishi Batshuayi couldn't play. Uh, therefore, um, he was out and, and Scott Dan was brought in on the bench, obviously back fit now. Um, and despite your desire to see him play up front, um, Mike uh, repeatedly mentioned on our <laughs> watch along um, that I mean I, you know again we talk about the only change in a normal game my, my change would have been to take Ayu out of the side and put Batshuayi in without that option whether or not Ayu for Benteke would have been good but would you have gone with Ayu for Scott Dan and played Scott up from? Oh yeah why not I mean benefit of hindsight 4-0 God, play him anywhere put him in goal yeah it was um, obviously I suppose the only question I have for you, for you two, really, and, and I'll start with you, Patrick, is: you know, would would you have done any different leading into that game? Not um, so. It's not a question: is would you expect any different? Because obviously you wouldn't. You know the manager. You know what we what we're going to do. But would you, prior to to knowing that you were going to get we were going to get beaten four 0 would you have made any changes at all from that Everton side? Honestly, I would have started Ben Teke instead of Ayer. And I'm not saying that just to say I would have honestly just his, his history against Chelsea is pretty decent. I thought we could use the trainer again. We mentioned on a watch along yesterday. I think um, Jordan looking a bit jaded. He hasn't had a rest. I believe that uh, someone had mentioned it in about uh, two seasons because of Afcon and one other tournament he played in. And I just think he looks jaded. I I, actually, I really like him as a player, but as someone mentioned, I think it was a uh, uh, Nav mentioned. It looks like it looks like the eye we had on loan, which was not the good Jordan eye. I think he needs a rest, and I would have. That's why I would have made a change. But I knew he wasn't going to make the change. He being Hodgson, so what we got yesterday, I very much expected. Yeah, no, it was a, it was an interesting point. I think it was Dr that made it on the sh- the, the the watch along, uh, the, the thing that you mentioned there about the fact that Ayu's not had a rest, and he pointed at the fact that Townsend desperately needed a rest last year and, and seems kind of rejuvenated now. But right. I, th- I think it is more complex than that. Um, 
And I think Townsend's motivation is increased motivation is partly personal pride, uh, partly playing, you know, the final year of his contract and, and playing for his future at Palace. Um, that's what I think a lot of the change in his play is. But um, Mike, going over, going over to you, really, that is, are we unfair on Jordan? Are you? We're, you know, he was. We were talk, We talked him up so much last year because he was so important to us. But he has started poorly. There's no avoid, avoiding that, right? Yeah, oh, I think anonymously is the word I'd use. Um, I'm not sure this formation suits him quite so much. And in all honesty, I think if you'd asked him where he'd want to be or where he'd want to have started yesterday, you know, he might have said replacing Schluck. Um, it wouldn't have bothered me whether Benteke started or why he started. It was it was changes in the game if we went 1-0 down and we'll discuss that later. That didn't happen. So to me, that's much more important than... Who started? I, th- I think pretty much his, his his hands were tied for about eight of the players who he was going to start. So it was all right. Well, let's let's get into the the, the approach now. We've, we've sort of hinted at it a little bit um, in terms of the fact we didn't see any real changes. And Mike, you've mentioned effectively in game management there, and that's that's the major topic for this for this first point really. So you know, the first question is, and I had, I had a few interactions on on Twitter, most of which were were pretty positive, even with the people who didn't necessarily agree with what I was saying but one or one or two overstepping the mark a little bit and being a little bit disrespectful I felt but there we are um so obviously first and foremost just because you pick the same team as you I mean other than Jeffrey Schlupp it's the same team that played Man United and it's the same system but that doesn't mean it's the same tactics the same approach the same game plan if you like so my my question is really to, to you guys is what what was different? What do we think was different? And noting primarily that Roy Hodgson's comments after the game were very much focused on the players. And, and he talked about the players being not confident or brave enough. Not, you know, not... No, this trend of starting that game, the games really quickly, particularly if you look at the Man United game, we came out of the, the, the traps flying there and got a very early goal, which which set the tone. And we see we tried to do that against Everton. We saw it against Southampton. Um you know, and, and that's been a, a, a real positive. We talked about it a lot from the start of this season, but that that was just wasn't present against Chelsea. So my question, uh, and I'll start with you, Mike, is is why was that? I mean, that is a ridiculously difficult question to answer. Um, I think partly it's the fact that Chelsea did all the things that we are terrible at playing against. So um, you know, high press pressuring um but also at the same time not allowing us to break quickly so the breaks were slow I know you mentioned in the watch along that um Eze was moving the ball around quite slowly rather than the the schlup pace and I think DR said we missed his pace um whether that was the difference I'm not sure um I think you're probably right to talk about the post-game interviews not just Hodgson's um Mitchell's and Eze's were both on, on Palace TV um, and they seemed a little bit shell-shocked. Um, I'm not quite sure that they knew what was different. So if the players don't know what was different, then I'm not really sure how we're going to. And that's that's worrying. And that's why I think when we went six points from two games, nobody got too carried away because we knew this would happen. And I want to throw something out there. So, Hamburg, just give me a time, a minute to throw out some stats out there. I know stats don't always tell the truth, yeah. story, but a couple of things. So, 
In both the Southampton and United game, he scored early, obviously. Zaha in the 30th minute against uh, Southampton and uh, Townsend in the 7th minute. But let me give you some stats. I'm just going to give you possession, shooting, and accurate, and passing accuracy. So Southampton, we had 29, 29% possession. They had 71% possession. We had five shots on goal, three on target. They had nine. We had 122 accurate passes. They had 458. We had a uh, passing success rate of 52%, 52%, sorry, and they had 79%. United, 25% possession for us, 75 for United. 14 shots, 5 on target. United had 17 shots. We had 138 accurate passes, 138 versus 122 previous match. They had 606 accurate passes. We had a better uh, passing success rate of 86% and uh, United had 61%. Everton, which we all believe was probably our best performance in, a, you know, overall, obviously United being, the, you know, the win, but, you know, played at home. Uh, possession. Probably I don't, but cool. <laughs> yeah, people do say that. I don't think it was that great either, by the way. But anyway, possession, 42%, uh, Everton, 58%. Um, shots, shots, eight, one on target. Um, Everton, 10. Uh, passing accuracy, 281, which is almost the total of previous two matches, the Southampton and United game. Um, they had 433, uh, accuracy was 76%, and they had 83%. Yesterday's match, possession for us, 29%. Chelsea, 71%. Shots on shots for zero on target. Uh, they had 17. Accurate passes, we had 208, consistent with the um, Everton match, um, more than both Southampton and United. They had 600, 636 our passing accuracy was successful with 74% and Chelsea 90%. So what I'm seeing here is that in every single match bar Everton, our possession has been pathetic. It's been awful. Our shots on target have been really, really poor by United game. And our passing accuracy and just passing in general has been poor. So I would, I would argue that we haven't played well all season bar the United game. Southampton was the reason again, and if you know the stat, the stat is with with Hodgson. When we when we when he's leading a halftime, we we I think we we hardly ever lose. So going ahead is huge for us. But when we don't go ahead, we are playing for nil nils, and when it doesn't happen, we have a problem. I think that's you know that that though those statistics, although you know obviously there is a a wider statistical view there, um, but I think those are key key statistics. Uh, and I don't think they can be argued with. And, you know, I had this conversation on Twitter and there was some interesting, again, opposing views from various different people. We had some a good debate on it, really. But lots of people were saying, oh, you know, we were good against Southampton. We could have scored more. And it just think, just think back to the saves that Guaita made and when he made them. Because exactly. that we were not good in that game. It was a good win. It was a good win and I felt positive and happy. But that wasn't a good performance. But you know, Roy even said in, in in post-match, he said, Oh, he was quite even quite dismissive of Chelsea because he was talking about the first half, how we kept them at bay. And he said it's not about possession, because whoever was doing the interview was actually pretty good with him because they, they challenged him a little bit and talked about the fact that he didn't didn't change things. Um and but I, the the comment that really got me was he said, Oh, it doesn't matter how many passes they play across their back line. And it's just like <laughs> yeah, but they didn't just play passes across their back line, and and their back line was actually able to walk into our half. Yes, you know that's that's the problem. So when I when I asked the question of Mike, and and you know you've you've backed up those stats, my my answer to what was the the biggest difference was we didn't press at all, not 
not that usually we don't press in in our opposition half other than if we're trying to start the game quickly which is again ironically what we did against united we pressed high for the first 10 15 minutes and then reverted to tight but by doing that we got ourselves a proper foothold in the game we didn't do that against Chelsea and I suppose the question is was it because of Chelsea or was it because of us or did, did but I can't get away from the fact that we we must have changed our intention for the team not to press at all in in our opponent's half and to barely press at all in our own half we actually just sat back and watched and that what well, that's usually a criticism when when you watch your team play badly but it was at you know it was long before we we conceded any goals. We were just happy to sit there, and you could literally look at the screen. It was like looking at a almost like a frozen screen at times of four four two in formation. Um, you know, I looked at the strikers very very early on, and they were trying to close down space. But you know, the number of times both of, both Zaha and Ayu were throwing their arms up in the air, looking back and seeing how deep the midfield were. To me, that's why the whole thing fell apart as badly as it did. And that's not about how well Chelsea played. That's not about how better they are in terms of the quality they have available. That's on us. That's on the coaching. And that doesn't bear any kind of scrutiny to Roy's comments of Roy saying the players weren't brave or confident or ambitious enough. Well, that happens if you if you start to lose a game. But from, from moment one, that's all down to how, you, how he... And the coaching staff have set that team up, the mentality that they started the game with. And that's why I blame Roy for that performance, not the players. However, obviously both have a responsibility and they are at fault. And if you look at last year's 2-0, when Pewter Stitch and Abraham scored, take away the last two goals yesterday, two penalties, it's the same match. We played the same way last year at Stamford Bridge in front of supporters. We did. Just as poorly, never pressed them, sat back, let them dominate the ball. Pudis was passing around us. He's, you know, he's an American kid, very, very good player. It's the same game. So almost a season later, we've not made a single adjustment. That's frustrating to me. It really is. Absolutely right. Now, I went on a long rant there. Um, so, Mike, before we move on, I'm giving you a, a right of reply if you've had anything to add. Uh, Patrick spot on. Remember going to Stamford Bridge last season with Chris, and it was so depressing. There was there was nothing, nothing we could take out of it other than there was a decent few pubs on the way back home, um, and not a lot has changed. Um, our record against them is poor, um, but it really did just seem like all they had to do was watch what Everton had done. Um, so we can say Chelsea did well, but. Um, I think we're going to get that from Brighton. I think we're going to get that from everyone because they can all watch a DVD back. Um, it's worrying. So, yeah, I mean, we talk about, you know, the, the frustration of that game. And I think it's difficult not to to sort of tread on some of the comments that we've had. So we'll, we'll probably leave the majority of this discussion to some of your questions and, and comments um, later on. But as has been pretty much said well, I certainly said earlier on by Mike, it was the in-game management that was the biggest problem in that display. It wasn't really about, you know, I'm frustrated as you just heard about how we started the game and our mentality. But when we went 1-0 down, that was the first, in response to that, it was the first time that Joel Ward went past Andros Townsend straight away. And that to me was a massive alarm sound because that, that shows the intent that you know that shows that there was an instruction or or, a, or an in, at least an interpretation of tactical instructions 
for Joel Ward to remain behind Andros Townsend and not really contribute in the attack. Um, and, and presumably the same on the other side of the pitch. So that proves that we did go into that game with a different setup and a different game plan to the Man United game. So all those people who were saying to me it was the exact same tactics as the Man United game, you are wrong. I'm sorry, you are wrong. It was different in the approach. Just because you have the same formation and you have the same players, you know, give or take a schlup, that is that does not make it the same game plan or the same tactics because it, it was markedly different. Um, um, I think... We've, you know, it's almost become a joke with Roy, the whole substitution thing and the whole, you know. But I mean, we're gonna have to react quickly because we want to keep this short. But how do you react when you're losing when you lose a game four nil and the substitutions that would were made were two defensive midfield? Well, let's not get into the CDM game. Let's let's just call them central midfielders, but two like for like changes basically. Uh, you know, Patrick, you, you've said your piece a few times, and Roy, we know you know your view. But that that's that thing in isolation where the only changes he's made to a team that's playing appallingly, uh, and, and players with, by his own statement and admission, people who are having individually terrible games, he's chosen not to change any of those, and he's taken off the two central midfielders, which, as we'll talk about very shortly, were the two, one of the two, two of the higher rated players in the game. Yeah, I would have had more respect for him had he started those two. Dropped McCarthy, McCarthy, not because they're not playing well, but just to do something different and then started them and then said, you know what, it's not working out, put them two, the two back in. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to taking them out for like for basically like for like. It made no sense. You had Maya and you had Benteke on the bench. We're screaming out for, we're losing. We're screaming out for a goal. You know, just you, you give the the, 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 the uh, instruction to Eze and to Townsend and whoever else uh, to uh, Mitchell and Ward. Get crosses in and you get Benteke on. I know it's a pipe dream. We're not going to cross balls to Benteke, etc. But do it anyway, just to make me laugh. And then, you know, bring bring uh, bring Max on just for giggles also. Let him link up with a Will for a little bit and play a little football. But now we've been on two like for like midfielders. It's a joke. And it's not funny anymore to me. It just isn't. You know, we, you make that joke all the time about I guarantee, you know, Seventh fifth minute, he'll be on schlup or whatever, and it's you know, but it's a point where we all know when the subs are coming in. It's ridiculous. So now let me look at the real quickly at the, at the times yesterday. What time did they come in yesterday? Good question. I haven't even looked. Um, I'll be I'm able looking, to find I'm out. At, Seven, oh, no, Seventy-one out. minutes was Gyro yeah, 60, was on, right? Sixty-six for Luka, 60, yeah. Exactly. So again, about the same time, and at that point, it is already it's it's two, and then Jorginho scored at seventy-eight. So it's already it's already three nil. I mean, come on, what? It's frustrating. <laughs> Sorry, it's just frustrating. Look, look, the fact that Hodgson blames entirely, he said it was four personal errors that cost the game. Um, right. So that, I mean, so Tom Sedgwick, for example, said the fact we really alter our formation in games where we're creating absolutely nothing, all we do is change defensive midfielders. Um, now, if, if Hodgson genuinely thinks that the only thing, the difference between us and Chelsea was four individual mistakes... I can kind of see the justification him wanting to change the same, the you know, like for like because he'll think, oh. But then in that case, he didn't he didn't get rid of any of the ones that actually made the individual mistake. <laughs> so, uh, question from Kevin here: spoke of four individual errors. So he's talking about Roy. Uh, and my interpretation, interpretation of that is Sacco mistakes and the penalties given. However, his tactics in the substitutions, attacking play, little involvement of Wilf, and no attempts on goal are his errors. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it makes no sense because he didn't take off the people that he's blaming for this 
you know, for, for Chelsea getting four goals. So it bothers, it bothers me. It bothers me more than most games. You yeah, for sure. Deal with it, but and I, for me, the um, I mean, that gets into what I want to talk about next. Really, when you talk about, so he has written it off as as four individual errors, but it's not. They're not individual errors. Individual errors were part of the incidents. But as you'll soon find out as I rattle through these goals, it's not one individual error. It's it's a lot of it is multiple errors and and, and a team approach and, and people switching off. So I'll pause. Oh, go on, Patrick. You want to jump in now? And um, no, I, I, as I, as... right. So I, you're going to go through it now. I'm looking forward to it. But I'm I'm going to say it, and I said it to Dio at the time on on the, on the when he kept him Sacco. No goal, very rarely goal scored is made by one person's error. It's so rare, it's so easy to pick out. You know, keep made now, which I do with Hennessy all the time, and you know, Sacco made the error. But I'm telling you, and you're going to go through it. It's never. It's very rarely it's one player. It's usually team breakdowns of two and three things that lead to the goal. But anyway, go ahead, Campbell, thanks. Absolutely right. I mean, it would have been more appropriate to say there were, you know, there were some notable aberrations, but, you know, that, <laughs> yeah, that exactly. first, the first goal. So look, I'll pause at the end of each each goal and, and either of you can stick your hand up and, and, and add to it if you like and, and give your views. But the first goal started because there was zero pressure on the ball. As, as we talked about, that was all game. There was no press whatsoever. So... We're allowing Chelsea to stroll around the midfield. And they're at walking pace at times, but they're still able to pick passes. And the movement isn't even quick. You know, the, up top, they're just have, they're able to stand in the spaces because our formation is so rigid. Players aren't marking players. They're, they're standing in spaces. And Patrick, you and I have said it a million times, a space doesn't score a goal, does it? A player does. So Never has, and, never will. <laughs> exactly, and and this is what we and we see this, and and that is a feature of, of you know most of these these goals we've conceded. So in this first one, no pressure at all, and, and Werner's allowed to pick a pass out to Callum Hudson Hudson Odoi, and he's just stood on the line basically on on the byline. So you know Mitchell's not going to get right out to him because he's been told to defend narrower than that. That's our positional um, situation with the fullbacks. So, but he puts a cross in and it's well blocked, and that's where this is where you get the the, the aberration from. From Manasako, a complete rush of blood to the head, swings wildly at the clearance and just gifts it straight back to Hudson Odoi. He quickly plays in Aspilaqueta, and we're a little bit unlucky here in some ways. But you make your own luck by actually picking players up because what happens? Aspilaqueta's shot loops right up. Abraham is 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 a tall lad and he's able to win the header fairly easily to flick it towards the back post. And the biggest mistake here, now there's a couple of Chelsea players who aren't re- being being closely marked, who probably could have turned the ball in. But, you know, it's naturally fallen into the path of Chilwell. Now, Chilwell's already moving and running at pace. And when you see the, the replay from behind, Townsend's jogging, jogging back, watching the player who scores the goal. His player, his man. If you're not breaking your neck, now I know Townsend's not a defender, but you know, in those in that situation, if you're not breaking your neck to go with the player that you're responsible for, then you are at fault. So he is at fault for letting Chilwell have the, the run on him there and, and smash it in. And the whole team was at fault there because there were ample opportunities to do something about it, to organise themselves, to mark up. To, you know, all those things were so so wrong with it. But the aberration was, of course, started by Mamadou Sakho. Little pause. Sounds like I'm going into goal two. 
So goal two, zonal marking, all right? This is, is killing me. It really is. Now, we usually, uh, Patrick, you might watch closer than I do. I, I find it hard to work out where, when we're, we're being zonal and when we're actually trying to do a combination of both. We're never, ever man for man, and that's it. Never. But but this this stunk of zonal marking because a corner comes in, it's cleared, but the the team are dead to it. So if you're switched on and you and you're marking a man, this doesn't happen. But then but they're not marking a man. Some of them are switched off completely and started to wander off. But those who are still switched on to the situation are still marking spaces and not players. And the ball is crossed back into Zuma. There's no real challenge from Sacco because you know you and Dio had quite a quite an argument in the watch along Patrick on this one, but you know he is stood off him. He jumps, he mistimes the jump, and it's it's an easy header into the goal. Yeah, I just want to so, say something. On, oh, so you go ahead. Yeah. So the argument between Dio and I was this about how to mark. It's in the box, and now Dio said, "Well, he should have fronted him." Now listen. I've coached for a long time. I'm not going to go into that stuff. And I played, but I've never heard a coach tell me on a on a corner or a free kick in the box to ever front a defender, unless you're going to have someone behind him. Also, it makes no sense because if you front the player and the ball goes over your head, you can't defend it. So that's the first thing. Secondly, is that Sacco just he just mistimed his jump. You know, Dior had mentioned that he didn't jump. He did jump. It was a poor jump, but he mistimed it, and that happens in football. So. That was the issue. And the funny thing is, had the ball not gone to Zoom, I'm looking at it now, uh, Chris, I'm watching it now, Timo Werner's unmarked behind him. So he probably scores the goal. So my point is, you just said, it, it's, it, is, it is a lot more than one person's error that would have led to that goal. Absolutely right. Go on, Mike. For me, out of the four goals, this one highlights the fact that Hodgson's tactics are ones where basically everyone has to be putting in, you know, 95, 100% into his plans. And you've got, so you've got some new players. I mean, let's take Mitchell is young. Um, It's going to take him a little while. You've got Eze, who ostensibly started on the left. Um, Obviously, they moved moved around a bit. But, you know, he's obviously, it's going to take him a while to bed into such a rigid system when he's played nothing like that for QPR. Um, and, 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 And then... You've also got the fact that we've got <clears throat> some players that have been injured for a long time um, coming back into a system with different players to the ones they had before they were injured, i.e. Sacco. So it's almost like you can't, you can't be operating at anything less than 100% for those tactics to work. And that was just a great demonstration of the fact that currently they're not at 100% with the defence. I mean, they might be with the attack. We don't know because there wasn't any, but certainly they're not there yet. Um, so, you know, it might click next game, but um, if we keep swapping the players around, I'm not sure it will because it's, t- it's too much about well-drilledness for this to work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. 
at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Back of the Nest, sponsored by Pitch Sport. Fun time videos, choose your match day squad, post match ratings and much more. Available to download on the App Store and Google Play. PitchDMM.com Now I think there's, there's yeah, you're, you're 100% right and, and, and pointing at those players who aren't used to the system, you know, there's there's definitely a weakness there and you'd expect that, but it, it's... It's not inevitable either. It's you know you're, we're playing too high risk in that respect. Now, I think if you look at the players that that are out and and thankfully on the way back, you know you'd you'd argue that maybe that doesn't happen if you've got Gary Cahill in there. You know it that might not happen if you know even if PVA's in there and not but but you know as much as I think Mitchell's possibly already a better defender than him. Um, but it's you know there there are question marks there in terms of the back line that we are almost having to put out at the moment and maybe we should expect a degree of weakness but you know as, as I talked about it's a team effort and there was so much more wrong than, than, than just our defending in this game that it seems churlish to, to focus too much more on it um, I'll fly through the next couple of goals because obviously there were two there were two penalties there was a there was a, a couple of Twitter posts and, and videos shared saying that there was no touch at all on Abraham I'm usually one of those people that would retweet that and just hammer the referee and hammer the officials and say what a ridiculous decision it was but I'm sorry to say this but the the contact with Mitchell is actually earlier than people are looking it's not when the feet are planted because Abraham does simulate the fall at that point but the actual contact is as is is as um Abraham's right foot is in the air sort of crossing his back leg if you like It, it touches Mitchell's knee and he and he feels that contact and then he goes down so it's sad to say that there's actually Abraham could could easily have run on there. It's not actually disrupted him in any way, but he's fully entitled to feel that contact and fall to the floor and, and give the referee a decision to make. Yeah. You know, we've we've seen it a number of times. It's not it's not a full out dive because you know Mitchell's got his leg across there. He's made contact with him. Yes, he could carry on running, but frankly, why should he? Because you know referees won't give you a penalty if he misses, will they? So exactly, you know that's that, I, I I hate to almost defend the, the, the player but the bottom line is that is a penalty and we have to deal with it and, and the same for goal four that's a that's a horrible penalty because it's a horrible touch from Sacco this this to me was the you know it was almost worse than the air shot because the ball was not particularly hit hard at him when it comes into the box and he just can't sort his feet out rebounds off him straight to Havertz and he's trying desperately you know you can't fault the guy for trying he's trying to make up for it and he just Rashley goes in. Havertz wants that contact. Is waiting for it. Falls as soon as it happens, and he's you know Sacco is unfortunately way too clean to keen to oblige. I'm not going to say the other word because it's quite harsh. The one that I put in the show plan, but I'm cross about that one. And obviously both penalties were very similar. Both were scored, and and it's four nil. Um, disappointing. Yeah, just to add, you you mentioned the the final goal, and again I I harken back. We said about it's never one player's error. Prior to that, Ayu gives the ball up. Falls on the floor, doesn't get up, and that's when the ball comes to the box. Had I, you know, so I mean, it really started with Ayu losing the ball uh, about I don't know eight nine yards outside the box, which led to that whole Sacco mess. So again, had that not happened, it wouldn't have been anything to people to basically slate Sacco about. Definitely not. Now, 
I'm going to mention a couple of other things um, that were disappointing. No real need to discuss in any major detail, I don't think. Um, first of all, I was really disappointed with the number of free headers uh, that Chelsea players were allowed, particularly from corners. Um, we could easily have conceded maybe three more goals just from the fact that players were just left with very, very easy headers that they, that they managed to miss, um, which was you know, it's just not like us. And you know, they look they're a tall team, to be fair to Chelsea, and, and we perhaps haven't got enough leaders at the back at the moment, you know, with, with Sako having a terrible game and Kiate not 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 at his best in that game either. And the, the centre backs certainly weren't dominant and you know the, the two central midfielders aren't aren't massive guys for us and I suppose fullback Mitchell's not particularly big. Wardy's got a bit of height in him. So you, you, we're just running out. It's not like Ayu's going to come back and, and be a defensive um, sort of presence like Benteke is, for example. So, you know, we are really lacking that bit of height and strength, I think. Sorry, I thought you were going to speak, Patrick. No, I am. I'm sorry. I was on mute. Um, you know what disappoints me? And you talk about, you know, um, disappointing. It's, it's not necessarily... Hodgson's tactics all the time which I don't particularly care for or like and a lack of adjustment but it's that we don't give it a go enough now I want to point out a few results this weekend look what Leeds did yesterday uh, the 1-1 versus um, Man City they didn't go there or they were playing at home they don't go there with fear I mean we've been City obviously a couple of times I'm not saying we haven't but I'm just saying they, they, they're new to the league and they're going out and they're giving it a go Today, West Ham who have been poor most of the season lose their manager and they beat Leicester away 3-0 and I'm watching now Art Villa are four one up against Liverpool. Four one against Liverpool. So, so the point is, are you going to tell me all those managers are better than um, Hodgson? Are you going to say all the players are better than Palace's players? Sometimes you just want your team to give it a go. I don't mind losing. I told you guys before. I've been a Palace for for over fifty years, so I'm used to losing. I, I saw Palace in Division Three, which is you know the old. This is now what League League One. So I'm used to you now not winning all that stuff. But I want Palace now, at this point, now the seventh, eighth year in the Premier League, to just give it a goal more than have an attitude that DR has. I understand that we just wanted to survive. So if we lose, you know, those matches, I'm not saying beat, get beat 5-4, no. I don't want Swansea again. I'm just saying, is there a point where you can go for a game? Like yesterday, Chelsea were fragile. They were. They, they have been not playing well. Lampard again changed his lineup because he always does that. We had a chance to go at it. And we didn't even give it a go. And that was what frustrates me. And then when we're losing, he brings on the same. I mean, I'm going over the same type of game. I'm just saying, just give it a go if once in a while. I think fans will be more behind Hodgson than the same old play for the nil-nil, don't change the shape, make the same stuff on 70th minute, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the game, the same boring or the, the same uh, comments during the post-match. I just, just give it a go once in a while. That's what I'm really asking for. It's getting frustrating to watch. Yeah, look, it goes back to that, that, that the thing... You know, I know I've said a few times and, and we, we've talked about it in general is just because this is Hodgson's way, it doesn't mean it's the only way. Exactly. You know, and, and that's the biggest problem I've, I've had. Even even when we've been getting results and people have said, oh, you know, you, you're too quick to criticise Hodgson. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but is, is even is what we're doing now the only way to get results? Is it getting the best out of our players and our team? It probably isn't. And, you know, I, I hate the fact that you just mentioned that Villa are, are, are 4-1 up against Liverpool and, and Ollie Watkins at the time of recording has scored a first-half hat-trick. <laughs> Amazing, I mean, what, isn't it? What is Bloody going on hell. there? You know? and, and look, the league, is, the league oh. is mad. And, you know, you look yeah. at the struggles that some other teams have been having and, in a way, you look at our result against Chelsea and our performance against Chelsea and say it's not actually... 
you know, any different from some of the bigger and better teams with stronger squads and, and how right. they've played this year. It is a weird league. So, you know, we potentially could argue, are we are we going too far into this defeat and, and taking it too hard? But unfortunately, there's a whole history and, and, and behind it in terms of how we've played and the way the managers manage through games. And I think that's why we're taking it as hard as we are. You're totally right. Um, I would play devil's advocate and say that for me, the the Everton defeat was the kind of defeat I'm I'm fine with because, um, you know, we lit we lit interesting and quick going forward. Yes. Um, and that uh, again, that's all I really asked for. Don't mind losing if if we if we do it well. It's um it's the Groundhog Day of of the Chelsea game that that I think gets to us. Um, I I think it, it's not. It's dangerous to compare to other sides because a lot of these sides have ended up going back down. So you're just going to have a lot of these, a lot of listeners to this pod saying, "Well, we've managed to last this long." Um, you can counteract that by then saying, "Well, we've, this is the eighth year of it. How much do we really need?" Um, <laughs> finishing between eleventh and fifteenth. Um, yeah, it's it's it, 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 it's tough, but um, you can see it getting to the players. Um, Tony Cascarino um, came on a particular yeah. national radio yeah. station and said that, um, wow, that horrible phrase, Zahar's down tools. Zahar retweeted him, rose to it and said, I'm, I'm bored of this crap now. Um, as he has every right to do, because he didn't down tools. He just didn't have a chance to get in into the game. Um, and it, it pissed me off when Hodgson alluded to the fact that um, he didn't think Zahar would put enough effort in. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What, exactly. what effort can the man put in from walking football? It's 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 like watching England when they play Latvia, um, and you know one of those sort of friendlies that just that nothing happens and you just wish you hadn't spent two hours watching it. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so well, yeah, it, it, but what I would say the, the point I was making before I run it on um, Everton did was the kind of defeat I'm happy with. So agree, if, agree. 100%. If that happens again, then fine. Um, we'll see. Yeah, absolutely right. And I, I think the worry, the most worrying thing about this is it felt like the games during the restart period where we just weren't at the races at all. And we heard all the excuses as to why that was from Hodgson. And he doesn't have those excuses anymore. Uh, and it's funny, he talked about being happy with the squad and all of a sudden he starts talking about the players that are out again when, when we get absolutely hammered. And, uh, you know, for me... I, I, you know, I don't want to be negative in my predictions, but my predictions are that he will fast run out of excuses this year if, if we don't do something dramatic. Now, what that dramatic thing is, I'm not too sure whether or not it's a, you know, get one extra player in, despite his recently changed view that he's happy with what he's got. Um, and it, you know, we could talk forever about how annoying it is hearing people say things like, "Oh, you know, I don't really need another wide player because I've got um, Eze and I've got Max Mayer, and then Max Mayer spends ninety minutes on the bench again when we lose four nil." Well, don't don't call him a player that that's an option if you're never going to use him. If you can't use him to to make an attacking sub in a game where you lose four nil, what is the point? Just what is the point? And he's not the only one. I know Mayer's a topic we've done to death, and so have a lot of people. But it just shows you he still has this reluctance to use a squad in the way that the modern game demands. And it's extremely frustrating. Um, look, I'm going to try and find one little chink of positivity. Uh, Patrick, I know you probably wanted to comment a bit more on that, but conscious of time ticking on. Um, the one bit of positivity I have to say was that at 1-0, Jordan Ayew has a shot, which was well saved. But there were two players. We managed to get two players free at the back post. 
and a, a bet maybe a better slash more informed player in that position that I use in can cross it to the back post and we've got a tap in. And that was at 1 0. That would have been 1 1, potentially game changing. And Scott Dan. on those, Scott Dan, exactly, exactly right. If only he was as brave as you are, Mike. Let's delve very, very quickly into the player performances. So I went on to whoscored.com. Uh, I like their ratings because they're based on statistics rather than just how we feel people did out of 10. Uh, and interestingly, the things that I've picked out are. Well, first up, Mamadou Sacco, one of the lowest ratings I think I've ever seen, was uh, a 5.06. Um, and I know, Mike, that, that kind of leans into a, a question from Notbot, uh, who says, can we now finally dismiss the myth that Sacco is our best defender? The numerous errors, lack of availability due to injury and huge wage all far outweigh the couple of good games he has a season. Do you think we can get him off the books in this window? A lot wow. I disagree with there, <laughs> if I'm quite honest with you. I don't think it's a myth that, I mean, in terms of capability, he certainly is our, our best defender in terms of a technical view. However, injuries and um, you know lack of games do have an impact on any footballer. And, and right now, he does at times feel like a liability. Um, there are issues in things saying things like numerous errors. There actually aren't numerous errors. He just has a, a reputation for that because... You know he takes risks, um, but more often than not, you just you get a little flutter in the heart when he when he sort of does a Cruyff turn in, in the penalty area. But generally speaking, things that lead to goals and and uh, out and out errors are few and far between. We did see a bunch in this game, unfortunately, and and that will just reinforce that that um, that that belief. But that's my view on it, anyway. Yeah, but it's so unfair because people do realize that Tomkins, Cahill, and Dan do make mistakes also. I mean, I find I find that comment to be so difficult to deal with because again, I, he's not the typical centre half that we're used to in England. You know, he, you know, he's he just a different type of player. So, does this always has a mistake in him type thing? Just drives me nuts again because I've seen Cahill, Tompkins, and and uh, Kelly all make mistakes back there, which is fine because the centre half make mistakes, but. It seems that when he makes one, it becomes such a big deal. I don't. It just it's very frustrating. And again, you know, I've got a slight bias because I like him a lot, but also I also like Scott Dan, <laughs> uh, James Tomkin, and Gary Cahill. But I just find that that criticism to be so. Uh, it just bothers me because, like I said, he makes mistakes, yeah, but no more than any of us and other centre halves do. It's just not. I just mean it's just not fair. I think the way that his his languidity um, in his play, uh, or no, not in his play, in his movement, I think sometimes makes people think he is more prone to mistakes than than he is. Um, you know, but there's a lot of people that disagree with this. Uh, Andrew James Hepburn, Scott Down is defensively more secure than Mam- Mamadou uh, and Kuarte. Interesting. Um, what I would say is I, I've skipped work to watch a few under 23 games um and and there's been a few times he's been in there um when he's coming back from injury and I don't think you get the best out of Mamadou Sacco when there's no crowd um I think it makes a big difference and I was wondering whether he is the ideal person in this situation because um he is so laid back sometimes to the point where if there's no crowd does that just drop him a couple of percent more because he, he plays on the edge and that's one of his great strengths you know he can make someone look really stupid um but I wonder if the crowd behind him just gives him something and and you know he might not have too much love for Crystal Palace we, we can't 
got around the fact that our players are employees. They're not Palace fans. Um, so, yeah, he might not be used to play. Not all of these players are used to playing in front of no one. We've seen so many mistakes this season, not just from us. The Liverpool goalkeeper made a mistake for, for Villa to go one nil up. Um, so there's going to be some players that suits and some not. And I just get the impression that Sacco might not be one of those. Yeah, there's all sorts of things and factors. I mean, I'm just going to sort of finish by saying, even in the way you know we talk about Sacco, sometimes it's very difficult to to find the right words without you know sounding like there's a there's a degree of prejudgment there. And I, I would try, I would I would try personally to use the word unorthodox to describe his style and just and kind of leave it at that because I think that's fair. I think the way he defends, the way he runs, the the, the type of defender that he is is unusual particularly for the Premier League because you know he has a, a he has quite a, a distinctive running style he has you know in terms of players that we have but you know players who at, who who in central defense you know will will come out with the ball at their feet and try and pick a pass to set us up on attacks and things like that no we're not used to that and as i said earlier players who will take a risk and because of perhaps the way he does take those risks, it just highlights the things that, that, that go wrong more than anything else. And I think we're all kind of in agreement with that. Uh, and I would certainly back up Patrick's point that when you actually look at the mistakes made by other players, um, it just seems that Sacco gets way more attention than anybody else in the team. Um, but we'll, we'll leave that there, you know, against another one of those topics that could go on and on and on. Uh, I just also wanted to mention one of the things that... that stuck out for me that I was quite disturbed about was that Gyro had uh, basically 20 minutes on the pitch and touched the ball nine times. And that shows you just how out of the game we were by that point, really. And and all I'm going to say about that is that's not just about judging Gyro as a player. That's about looking at the timing of the substitution. You know, for me, as with, with all the Roy subs, 10 minutes too late, really. That's how I, f- I felt about that. And I felt chucking him on at that point was um, was proven to be a very, very poor decision. Interestingly, Luca did pretty well. Uh, and just to highlight, James MacArthur was the, the highest scoring player in terms of rating with 6.55. Um, did a lot of his work unnoticed, I would say, especially by me. I didn't notice too much. Uh, but Luca was on the pitch for, what, 20, 24 minutes plus injury time and was the second highest scoring player with 6.46. Um, 27 touches, which were uh, only two fewer touches than Wilf in 90 minutes. So there you go. Um, and Wilf, Wilf being the third highest rated player on the team as well, I think. No, Andros, then Wilf. Anyway, that's all we'll mention in terms of the the um, the performances. And we'll just crack on with some of your, your comments and questions, really. Um, so, Mike, you, you've put a lot of these together. So I'll let you start with the with the first one and we'll, we'll crack on. Yeah, I mean, thanks for uh, all of the comments. There's an absolute ton. People were angry, of course. Um, Four-word reviews, there was hundreds. Um, we'll just have a few. We've read them all. Uh, really appreciate it. Please always keep them coming in. It's the only way that you will hear anything other than our tired diatribes. <clears throat> Andy Hode. Excellent name, Andy. Andy Hode. Uh, Roy Hodgson's lack of improving players' mistakes. How many times have we said Sacco's gifted the ball away and yet nothing gets sorted? Let's take that bit out of it because we've already discussed that. Um, it's like he doesn't go over previous games with the players to iron out mistakes. So, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I, I would say that, you know, w- w- when critics talk about Hodgson, you know, they talk about how well drilled he is. Um, 
is it that he's he's drilling people too much and they've lost they've lost interest? Um, I, I think there's a bit of there's a bit of the the kind of autonomy, if you like, of of doing the same thing over and over. Because um, it's one of those things that we criticise Roy for in terms of his setup that it's the same every week. Um, obviously, we've had a tactical shift for this season, but it's now the same new tactic every week. Um, and, and again, I think Danny Murphy in particular has talked about Roy's training methods and how the sessions are the same every week. The drills are the same every week. So that be- then becomes, for me, becomes very hard to actually start coaching something individ- individualistically, if that's a word. <laughs> individually probably is a better word. But do you see what I mean? It's highlighting something that doesn't fit in with your set pattern and your set drills might become difficult. But I, I don't. again, I don't know how difficult it is to to actually coach mistakes out of the game I, I you know i'm not i don't know enough to be quite honest with you but i have little doubt that the the team spent quite a lot of time looking over past performances because we have a whole data analyst team that does that yeah yeah true enough well let's um direct this one to patrick from uh ever present listener ebo why did we bother signing eze when all roy wants to do is hang him out to dry by playing him out wide where he's ineffective in brackets and then drop him because schluck can do a better job out there he's going to end up like max mayer if we're not careful uh thoughts patrick yeah um i agree i agree this is the issue um i don't think uh hodgson signed Eze. I think he didn't have a problem with him coming out. I think he actually you know, signed him. So I think he was signed by others who looking at the future. Totally agree with positioning-wise. I don't know why. we. Sh- I've said this on every watch long I've been on. He's much better, more effective in the middle. you got to give him room to um to move around. I know that during a couple of interviews, he's already actually mentioned that one of the reasons when he came here, he spoke to um Hodgson and Hodgson was going to give him you know a role that he liked, meaning a, a freer role. And all I've seen so far, honestly, like maybe Millwall or Charlton, I think he got a lot more freedom. Is him stuck out on the uh, on the outside, which which negates him. Which is why I wouldn't want us to sign Benarama because we'll do the same thing to him. We'll play him out of position or or not play him. We've all done it with Max, and so I, I I don't know. I don't I don't understand it. I don't never understand Hodgson's tactics unless we put as any role that suits him. He's going to be absolutely just like Max Meyer to me anyway. Oh, thoroughly depressing. Excellent, excellent. Uh, right, two more, one one each. Uh, Hambo from Charles Meyer, MacArthur and McCarthy. Probably mentioned them less today than any other pod I can think of. Uh, <laughs> McCarthy and McCarthy are no doubt warriors that give all, their all every time, but surely we need one or two central midfielders to have composure on the ball and help link the play from our defence to our attackers. I think Jairo should be given a chance at this type of role. I guess that ties in slightly with what Patrick just said, Hambo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I talked about during the watch-along as well that I would like to have seen that. And I actually think the pairing that finished the game albeit in, in terrible circumstances, actually are a very interesting pairing um, for going forward. And if you think about the pre-season games where Gyro had basically won a starting place for the first game of the season and then got injured, he was he was doing a kind of playmaking role alongside one of MacArthur or McCarthy. He was doing the kind of the water carrying, as they call it, or the you know the breaking up a play, the screening of the defence. And what we had against Chelsea was just two midfielders who screened the defence all game. And again, that was a different tactic than than, than the Man United game, for example. Uh, and another thing that that had changed that people, you know, some people didn't didn't seem to recognise. But I think it, to answer the question directly, I agree with uh, with, with with Charles Meyer. Um, I think Gyro should be given a chance alongside. 
my preference would be Luca, but I know lots of people wouldn't agree with that. So any of the Maccas as well. But I think it's a good opportunity to look at look at something else now, Gyro's back fit. I love the phrase, any of the Maccas. Right, and this is from a gentleman who I'm going to butcher his name, Rowdry Dowd. Sorry, sorry, whoever you are. Thank you very much. Looking at the way our competitors have strengthened, are we sleepwalking into, once again, overspending in January in order to survive before again complaining we don't have any money for three seasons? Patrick. Um, possibly. I mean, I don't want to un- underestimate the fact we have signed three players. We've signed Ferguson, Batshuayi and Eze. One's at least playing. Ferguson might be out for a while. Um, I'd, I'd sign Klein, blah, 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 getting off the topic slightly and put him at right back over Ward. I think that might give us a little bit more impetus defensively and going forward. Um, we need to start Batshuayi at some point. I know you guys, you know, everybody got all excited about when Batshuayi started. We've now, we're now four games of the season. One he's not eligible for. He's got no goals, no shots on target, hardly has played. So I know we signed him late in the window, but if he doesn't start playing and contributing, we're going to have an issue with why do we even bother signing him on a loan. So um, will we run into the... Uh, Journey window looking for players, probably, but I really hope that we get one more in this window and play the ones we've actually signed in the right positions. Well, there we go. Um, so to end the show very quickly, um, just a nod towards the, the Premier League deadline coming up on, where's the 5th, which is a couple of days at the time of recording, isn't it? No, um, it's tomorrow. Tomorrow. tomorrow, there you go. I don't know what day it is, Patrick. <laughs> I've been, I've been on the keto diet for over a week, so my sorry, brain doesn't work. Sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so so tomorrow. So if we're going to do any Premier League to Premier League business, and I think that also counts for top divisions abroad, I think I'm right in saying, um, then then it's got to happen. And and I'm not too hopeful personally. Obviously, we didn't get Brewster. He's joined Sheffield United, and it was oh, definitely a player we were interested in. And gutting. be very very interested to see how he does because obviously there's an element of risk with that signing because of injuries and because of potential lack of top flight experience but you know and the buyback we, we right the buyback issue right and a buyback as well which so a lot of people have now he's not joined have sort of gone on the well you know fine it's not the right deal but <laughs> exactly I, I i wouldn't have cared you know frankly any any deal to get him here and, and have him for a, even a season or two if they buy him back it means he's done tremendously well and that of might course. move us on every exactly year, so, so. Uh, so I'm, I'm a bit i'm a bit disappointed well more than a bit disappointed uh, Roy's the way Roy's talking, he doesn't sound like he wants Ben Rama. Uh, whether or not that's got any relevance at all as to whether we'll sign him or not, I don't uh, know. Gosh. <laughs> um, but there we are. Uh, but that if, if that is a deal we end up pushing forward with, um, that doesn't have to happen until the 16th, and you'd you'd be you know probably right to bet that that's the earliest it would happen as well. So there you go. And so quite frankly, there's all sorts that could happen um, now. It's not really about the the rumours that are out and about at the minute. It's more about something that could happen at, at fairly short notice. Doesn't sound like we're going to let Wilf go for obvious reasons because not enough time to replace him. But talk of Andros Townsend leaving has has risen its ugly head. Quick, uh, a very quick answer from you, Mike. Would you sell Andros Townsend? No, I wouldn't. Um, I, I I think we need extra wingers. Not definitely not get rid of ones. Um, the only thing I did want to bring up is that Hodgson. Um, Sounded. He talked after the game as as though they were looking to sign Klein on a short term contract. Right. Um, yeah. So if people haven't heard that interview, it, it does. You know, he brought him up directly and said they're just checking his fitness. So yeah, you've got to look at some of the fringe players, and if they don't go out on loan very quickly, at the very least, if not 
gets sold, then we're probably going to have to start cancelling some contracts fairly soon. Yeah, uh, Hambo, we do on, it, we... on that on that quickly. So we're probably looking at people like Wickham, Yak, and um, Innis, right? As the three that yeah. we have to right? one of those three. Yeah, I would say so. I would say possibly all of those three. Um, all okay, all right. Well, if we, especially if we're to sign Klein, because I think that would take us to 28. That, that's um, the one I'm talking time. about. I mean, if you're going to give up your Wickham, Innes, and, and Yak for Klein, you've got to do that now. <laughs> you just you have to. Well, ideally, yeah. But yeah. you don't, again, we don't know what in, what discussions yeah. have been had and what interest there might be in some of our players. But exactly. you, the, the, the real yeah, problem true. is you can only sell players that people want, and that might not be the ones that you want to get rid of. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a really, really yeah, tough thing point. to do. And I say, we, my point is just simply that we could be in a position where you know, it wasn't that long ago there was a keeper called, was it Clayton Petrunio or something like that, who we suddenly realised was over 21 and had to cancel his contract because. We had too many players, so um, hopefully we don't end up in that position again. That's all I want to say on that. Obviously, international break, then a big one against Brighton. So the preview team will be covering that in detail in the uh, well week after this. Um, next week traditionally how you say that phrase, isn't it? Um, I'll go with that next time. Uh, but very quickly, guys, what, what, are you, how, what are you thinking, Patrick, in terms of your potential fears and a potential result? Brighton. Yeah. There is no fixture... That scares me more ever each year, which is why I was glad that when they weren't in the same division as Palace. Uh, very quickly, I don't know, four or five years ago when we, in, when we were in championship, the year that we got promoted when we lost to them on that Sunday. I didn't sleep for, honestly, for two weeks after. I was so upset. I think it was 3 0, 4 0, we lost. It was awful, awful yeah. match. Um, so it, and then it just, and then, the, the, you know, losing them in a cup a couple of years ago. It, it's, and Murray's gone against every time. Thank God he's gone. But I'm very scared. I'll, I'll take a, I'll take a 1 1, but we have to beat that side for, for so many reasons. I just think, just morale around the club, morale outside the club, uh, morale around the world. It has to. We have to beat them. So um, I'm just hoping we can. I don't care what the score is. We have to beat Brighton. Yeah, I've said it before. That three 0 defeat. I fell out with so many people. I was the worst human being alive for yeah, a very exactly. long time. Yeah, exactly. That's what it that. does to you. Yeah. Exactly. It's scary. Uh, uh, and Mike, South Florida Palace has asked, "What happens if we don't beat Brighton?" So, what do you think is the answer to that <laughs> question? And what is your prediction? Uh, it's there's several thousand people with huge outcry on Twitter to get rid of Roy. Barish doesn't get rid of him, he stays until Christmas. There we go. What do you reckon? Prediction? Got anything? Patrick avoided it. Um, <laughs> oh, I said 2 1. Oh, did you? I missed that yeah, part. It, it's a while off. Well, it's after both windows closed, so let's see. Oh, right. I'm going to go with 7 0 Palace. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> so, obviously, thank you very much indeed for listening today. Um, yeah, sorry there's no video, or maybe not sorry, maybe the video is the last thing you want to see of us. I don't know, but uh, a huge thank you to everybody who got in touch. There were tons of you, as Mike said, we read it all, and it, and it does help us shape the show in particular. So if we didn't get to your comment, apologies, but thank you very much for sending it in. Thank you to Mike and Patrick and to Sam for producing. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and to get the preview show as soon as it's out. Make sure you also like and subscribe on our YouTube channel and keep up to date with all of the content on there, of which there is an absolute ton. So you can find us on all platforms and social medias by simply searching Back of the Nest. And until next time, come on, you palace. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. 
Your mate's already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.